This is a secret, I think, from all of you. I'm from the prairies. And I remember the first time uh, traveling into this uh, mountainous, obstacle-ridden region. Um, I was on a, a golf, which is a fancy name for a rabbit, of a VW. And I was ripping down the road. I think there was four of us adults. And it was a nasty storm, so it was kind of hard rain and sleet and things like that. And all these curves around here. It was crazy. And mountains. And uh, through that pass, coming on into Rogers, that whole area of Golden and Revelstoke and all that stuff, the scary part, all of a sudden my wipers stop, stopped working. So I'd be dr- traveling along and uh, window open, and I'd spray a bottle and quickly wipe it, and then I could see what was going on. And I do remember the one time where, okay, it was one of those times I couldn't quite see. It was, reminded me of watching TV when I was a kid, you know, on a black and white 15-inch. Going, I think I know what happened next. I'm not sure, you know. Well, that's kind of the situation. I remember spraying the bottle and then giving a wipe. And I was like, mountain! And turning. Right before Revelstoke, some of those mountains come up fast. You can't be going any faster than 30K. I'll tell you. Boom, 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 you know. So I came into BC and, you know, I've... I've come across BC people, and they, I ask, where are you from? They say, God's country. <laughs> I roll my eyes, and I go, whatever. I didn't see you in my town growing up. <laughs> so I wasn't all that terribly, terribly excited about BC, and I, I pull into, um, I think it was Surrey Alliance. I was, I was part of a wedding over there. And then after the rehearsal, I, we went over, myself and somebody else, we went over to Tim Hortons. Huh? before I saw the light. And I went into Tim Hortons. We were having a good time, just chatting away. And there's all sorts of people. North Surrey, we're talking. So all sorts of people. And I grew up outside of a town of 300 people. So there wasn't a whole lot going on that I didn't know about. But here, it was just like, whoa, people watching galore. And we were chatting about cool stuff, including the glory of God and and a lot of cool stuff. And both of us had a heart for evangelism, telling people and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we noticed a cute little package over here, this little old lady, and she just, eyes glittering, and she was really kind of paying attention to us and our chat, our conversation. So I got up, and as we're about to leave, both of us approached this little lady and just, hey, you know, and we started a conversation, and immediately this really scary-looking guy with these beady eyes came right behind me, just boom. And I was just like, So I don't know what's with this guy, but there was something very offensive, oppressive, shall we say. And I actually just handed the keys to the lady I was with and said, go to the vehicle and hopefully I'll be right behind you. But I seriously, I thought, okay, I might get the beats here. Because there was something about the 
the drawing, the magnetism of the gospel that interested this woman and also then interested us in sharing more with this woman. But you flip a magnet around and what does it do? It repels you. You ever do that with two magnets? It just sucks it in, turn it around, it throws it across the room. Well, kind of that's what happened is we're drawn and this woman's drawn to our conversation and perhaps perhaps the light that we brought into Tim Hortons, you know, Tim Hortons needs lots of light, you know? And, uh, and then this guy gets up and he was the exact opposite, this repelling, this pushing, this oppression. And that was kind of, maybe that's why I have a hard time going to Tim Hortons. That first, you know, that first, um, that first uh, 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 baptism into it here in, in, uh, in uh, Surrey. But there's something, I like it when my kids even get magnets because I like to play with them and then just see how much they flip around and how they have such an intense drawing. But when you flip it around, they have such an intense pushing away. And today I want us to look at something that we just started looking at two weeks ago is the psalm. Psalmist uh, wrote Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, we looked at two weeks ago. And today we're going to take the next section, verses 7 to 11, and then hopefully next week we'll, we'll get down to the very personal part of the last part of the psalm. So Psalm 19, I believe we're going to see here that Scripture, the law of God, the Bible, the written code of Jesus Christ, what God has laid before us, there is something just really drawing and magnetic about it. You just want to get sucked into it, and you might just love it. But I think if you're honest, there's times, too, when you got that Bible sitting there on your desk or on your counter or beside your coffee machine, and there's something repelling about it. So today, I want us to just be thoughtful on, is it the Bible that's repelling us, or is it us repelling the Bible? Is it us that is drawn into it, or is it drawing us? And I want to throw that out to you. You can answer that question yourself. So... Psalm 19, starting at verse 7 all the way to verse 11. This is what it says. Is, um, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And if you've got the King James with you, it's going to be converting the soul. King James verse, converting the soul. I like that. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting or, or restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, even enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold. Yes, they much more than fine gold. And they're sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping there is great reward. Another version that is kind of written uh, more to today, that's kind of a commentary version, is this. The revelation of God is whole, and it pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are very clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy the directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold. I like that. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond. Better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring. 
better than red ripe strawberries. And there's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. Kind of neat, huh? So he's trying to bring it back because lots of us, we, we don't talk a whole lot about honey. But in these days, when he was writing this, honey was one of the sweetest things on the market. So he's, now he's talking to us. And obviously this guy's from the Pacific Northwest, so he knows we got fruit. So he says, how about strawberry? In fact, we have a couple strawberry plants. And we got some city slickers come visit us once in a while from Vancouver. And they're used to just grabbing whatever from California. We take down our plant and we let them take down just one, just one just one strawberry from our plant and everybody has the same reaction all the time. Whoa, this is, that's right. Now put the plant back, <laughs> you know? It's amazing, right? And our kids too, our last place, we had um, blackberry bushes. We had, uh, what was the other bush? Raspberry bushes, I think. And also strawberry bushes. When we couldn't find our kids, we'd be yelling at Caden, you know, Jada, where are you? And I'll say, yeah. And you could see them behind the bushes and they're just plastered full of fruit. They were, just, they were just loving it. Loving it. Well, guys, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that creation has been created by God, the creator, almost like dropping breadcrumbs so that you go, whoa, and you pick up a breadcrumb, pick up a breadcrumb, pick up, all of a sudden you look up and you see the bread maker, God Almighty. But we get so enamored in this culture, it seems, that we keep our heads down and keep picking up breadcrumbs, but we never look up to see the cook or see the bread maker, right? So here, the first part of Psalm, of the Psalm 19, is trying to show that this isn't just made for you. This was made, yes, for you to enjoy a Christian hedonist, enjoying this to the glory of God, but to also realize that, wow, this was created for you to enjoy but to enjoy with me, says the creator. With me, says the... And you know what blows my mind is that I look up, lately the clouds have been magnificent. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there have some been crazy clouds lately. And that is amazing stuff. Have you noticed it? This is amazing things that we live around. And what blows me away, that even creation groans, Romans talks about, it groans to be redeemed. It, re, it, it groans to find freedom because this is all marred around us. It's all been beat up by pollution, by poor acts of humanity, all sorts. So what we see around us isn't even perfect. I can barely imagine what it's gonna be like. Huh? So that, my friends, when you take a day off or when you walk to school or when you go snorbering, when you go for a walk along the beach, when you go skimboarding, pay attention because all that stuff was created by a creator, by not just an intelligent design, but by a personal God. And there's some interesting language that this psalm uses that I think you're gonna like. So he is the creator God, Elohim. But it gets even juicier than that in what we're going to see in a bit. So a couple weeks ago, we saw that the psalmist points out that creation cries out that, hey, there's a creator. There's the streams, there's the oceans, there's, there's mag majestic mountains. Mount Baker just cries out all the time. Come, snowboard on me, Steve, come. Uh, the crack of lightning and thunder. How about relief from pain in our lives? Or sometimes I think even Harmon was pointing out, even obstacles in our lives point us to creator, to, uh, to a God that cares. Uh, the cry of a newborn baby, that's one of my favorites. The swoop of an eagle. The, the generosity of a stranger. 
the ducking deep into the water of a loon, the love of a community. And today we're pointed toward the law of God or the written word of God. So in these next verses, there's this transition from verse six to seven, from creation over to the law of God. And this is really neat stuff because the psalmist, David, he's a regular guy that struggled with some serious sin, but this guy loved the law of God. But it's interesting, and I want to encourage you with this. Also in Psalm 32, I believe it is, and 51, we see that for a while, when David had sin in his life, here's the law of God. He put it down over there, and he's lived his life over here. He was out of fellowship with God for a while. So that's also a point I'd like to make, is sin will keep you from this book. Somebody said, I think it was Pollard that says, this, uh, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's pretty good. Because I don't know if you've experienced that. But I sure have. When I felt rebellious or when I felt like, or when I'm just taking life into my own hands, I'm not very drawn to the word of God. But there's times in obedience, even in itsy bitsy steps of obedience, where you're going to be drawn, there's going to be a magnetism about, ah, I get five minutes with the, or I got 10 minutes, or I take half an hour with the word of God. And it's like, ah. Even if there's a word uh, in there that going, oh shoot, I shouldn't have been doing that with my kids, or I really messed that up. Even that brings comfort to you when you're following and stepping out in obedience to the law of God. So here, today, I want us to realize that even when I say law, that probably has all sorts of connotations for you. But I'm hoping that you'll see that even the psalmist David was in love with it, even though at this point he had not met Jesus Christ, who had come through his line, his lineage, right? So there's something about the law, something about the written word of God Almighty that he was drawn toward. So verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete, unscathed. It's intact. It's blameless, without fault, free of blemish, impeccable, honest, devout, honesty, integrity, blamelessness, completeness. That's all it is. And some of you might get hung up on, seriously, this thousands of, this old, and how is it that it's still perfect in, in its originals? And I want to throw it to you there, if that's what's holding you back, I want to throw this out, is seriously, what's really, really important is if the word of God has no authority in your life, then does it really matter that you even think that the law of God is perfect and complete? Which it is. But what I'm saying is so many of us would die for that theology, that doctrine that this is the word of God complete. But then throughout the rest of the week, you wouldn't know it because it has no authority in your life. So it's very important to know that this is the written word of God in the originals without blemish and all that stuff. And it's incredible accuracy written into our language and we can trust it. We can walk with it. Even some stuff that seems inconsistent to you will blow you away if you actually take time to study it deeply and realize why Luke's a little bit different than Mark or Mark's a little bit different than Matthew. There's reasons behind all that stuff. So be encouraged that this is such an old book with incredible accuracy that it's amazing 
that it has such accuracy and perfection. And he says here, the psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect and it's blameless, without fault, free of blemish. The free church, which we're a part of, lots of you probably didn't even know that, but we're the Evangelical Free Church of Canada. And this is one of the things that we believe. First of all, God's gospel is authoritatively revealed in scriptures. And this is what it says. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As verbally inspired, as the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. That's what we stand for. That's one of our doctrines of statement. Spurgeon said so many years ago, making the man to be returned or restored to the place from which sin has cast him. That's what he's saying here in the very first verse of verse seven, that it can restore us or that it can um, bring resurrection or return us to the place where we were before sin. So why I, I pointed this out in King James Version, verse seven, it says it converts the soul. It converts, instead of restores, it converts, they use there. And that's what it says in King James. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And that's interesting because that very word converting is the very word that is used in Psalm 23. Now listen to the Psalm 23. Y'all know this, but you might want to close your eyes. This is a lovely Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul or he converts my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Selah. Amen. So that's the same word it's using here that the word of God is perfect, restoring the soul, converting the soul, bringing it back to zero, shall we say, bringing it back to why it was created in the first place. And there's a very important, I, I kind of foreshadowed this. There's a very important transition from verses one to six to seven. Can anybody figure out a word that's different in there that should get your attention, but it's hard if you don't really dig your nose right into it. The very first part of Psalm 19 talks about God and his creation, right? And the word that he's using for God there is Elohim. Then all of a sudden, in verse 7, he changes it to Yahweh or Jehovah or Adonai. And you're going, whatever that. No, what's really cool about that is all, you go from creator God to kind of a God out there that's creator to all of a sudden a personal God. Our God, a covenant God, a God who makes promises and doesn't break them. 
this is beautiful. Like to me, scripture, I, I, I really love the Old Testament. There's such juicy words in there that if you quickly read it, you miss them. But if you pay attention, all of a sudden, wow, this is incredible. The psalmist on purpose has written about the creator God and then all of a sudden boys down to the personal God. And we know from history that the Jewish people wouldn't even say that word. They wouldn't even say Adonai or they wouldn't say Yahweh. They just used the consonants. So they couldn't even really say it. They just spell it out. But it was so holy that they wouldn't even say the word. I had this holy talk with my daughter just yesterday. You want to have the holy talk, you got to talk to Ken. If you say holy cow around Ken, you're going to get a lecture. Okay? Because holy is a word that describes God. And in our day and age, we've used that for everything, right? But it's, it's one of his pet peeves. Like when you say holy and something else besides God, you're probably going to get it, right? He'll put you over his knee. Um, but I had that with my daughter and trying to just say, there's some words, and Gail was another one. If, if uh, you know, uh, Pastor Kevin, our former youth pastor, he'd always use the word, anybody remember? His favorite word started with an A. Awesome. Yeah, everything was awesome. <laughs> well, afterwards when he'd preach, Gail would, can I talk to you a minute? <laughs> And he'd get a tongue lashing. So if he ever used holy awesome, he'd be in big trouble, right? So holy is just one of those words that's kind of set apart for God. But not only that, it's also set apart for you. Because when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're set aside, you're holy. And the rest of your life, you're seeking to be set aside as holy. It's two words. It's kind of a placement and it's also an action. You are set apart. You are holy. Now, how do you live holy? It's really exciting. So here again, uh, you'll see it in your versions of the English Bible. Whenever you see kind of a small print, uh, capital L-O-R-D, that's what we're talking about here. So we're talking about going way back into, uh, I think it's Exodus 3, where it talks about the great I am. You know, who shall I say send me? Tell them the great I am. Like, <gasps> God. Jehovah, Yahweh. This is the one, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is the one that we're talking about now, him and his law, him and his Bible, the written word. It's personal. I love that. I just love it. Verse eight, he goes on to say, his statutes are right. So he's saying that his statutes, that what he has set apart, if you follow them, they will give a joy of the Lord. It'll actually give us joy to rejoice with the Lord. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is pure and enduring and clean. So in verse nine, it's really the fear of Yahweh, again, is another synonym for the law inasmuch as the aim of the law was to implant reverence for God in the hearts of men. It's clean or pure in contrast to the immoralities of the pollution that we get involved with in humanity. So the law drives us, again, going back to the, uh, the magnet, the law drives us, pushes us into the hands of grace, of the love of Jesus Christ. If you think about that, you look at the law, and some of us might be going, I'm actually doing pretty good with the law. I pretty much keep the law perfectly, and I kind of doubt it right? How often have we digressed and used the Lord's name in vain? Or I, 
or I promise something. And he's saying, don't even use my name. You can't promise it, you know, in God's name. You can't say that. Or you say, I promise you, as, you know, and, and bet something that uh, your land or whatever. You know, God's even saying, that's not your land. It's my land. So you, you can't just, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be trustworthy. Don't go promising stuff that's not even yours to give and back up. Or he goes on to say stuff like, thou shalt not murder. Well, I haven't murdered anybody yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and also, thou shalt not commit adultery and all that stuff, right? Or how about this one? Honor and honor your mom and dad. Oh, <laughs> and that's a crazy one because that one even comes with a promise. And then it shall go good with you. So, young people and older people, honor. Honor your parents. Look for ways to honor them, even if they're, if it's a deep exercise. Figure it out. How can you honor them? But, what we, what we said before is we're going, oh, thank God Jesus came because now we can do away with the law. Can we abolish the law? Huh? No. He is the fulfillment of the law. If anything, Jesus is more hardcore. He makes it more impossible. Like, are you serious? So I've used it before, but when he says thou shalt not look on a, uh, um, or thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus goes and makes it hard. says, I tell you the truth, if you've looked on a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. Oh my goodness. Uh, or thou shalt not murder, but I tell you the truth, if you hate your brother or sister, you've committed murder. Are you kidding? You know? So now all of a sudden he's made it. It's not just the letter of the law, which we love, which I think a lot of other religions do. People just want to know, what can I do perfectly so that I know that I'm good? That's not what's going on here. In, in Christianity, it is an intention of the heart. It's not just the letter. It's the spirit behind the letter. And it's also a constant relationship. So yeah, it's a lot of work. Isn't marriage a lot of work? If you don't think so, then let me know your trick. It's a lot of work. And if it is easy, then you need to be married to me. Then I'll teach you a few things that it's not easy, right? <laughs> it's always, uh, relationships are hard. And this is a relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's tough. That's why sometimes you're on fire with the Lord. And other times it's, you just don't even want people to know that you have that little Jesus fish on the back of your car because you feel like ramming into somebody. You know what I'm saying? So it's a relationship that we need to work on. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. When we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, he fulfills the law. So the Old Testament is really great and juicy. And I love it because there's so many awkward things in it. I tell you, you can be so encouraged because there's some stuff in there that I cannot explain. And it's awkward and it's hard to know what to do with some of it because some of it is just so restricted, like, you know, R, R-rated. Uh, but what I love about it, it's the truth, right? If it wasn't, to me, in my small mind, I would say if it wasn't the truth, then God would have cleaned it right up and only put the really nice stories in it. But now, all of a sudden, there's stories you've got to grapple with. Why would God let that happen? Or why did he command him to do this? Or what happened here? Right? And then if we start parsing apart and just, just studying Exodus or just studying this or just studying it, you're doing, again, uh, irreverence to the word of God because it's a whole story. This baby here needs to be interpreted through this baby right here. You just can't grab one verse and blow it out. 
You got it. What's the context? This is a story. This is the story of redemption. This is the story of God. One story, just with a bunch of chapters, bunch of parts, bunch of writers. His statutes are right. The fear of the Lord is pure and clean. The law drives us into the hands of a gracious love of Jesus Christ. It, the law makes us throw up our hands in frustration and neediness. I can't do this. I can't. You've struggled with hating somebody. You've struggled with lust. You've struggled with taking the Lord's name in vain. Right? We all have. So it, it drives us. It pushes us. It's that reverse thing on magnet. It pushes us into the hands of a gracious loving, forgiving Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law. But I can't leave this out. He has also sent us, when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we also have the Holy Spirit residing in us. This is incredible. And this really sets apart Christianity in a, in a marvelous way. Is that there is power available to you to each and every one of us when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are times where you're gonna be, uh, 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 and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit will bring back to mind something that you have studied so that you give a whopper of an answer and you walk away from that conversation going, I have no clue where that came from. Or you, in, in fact, it wasn't that long ago where I was going for a run, I was all sweaty and nasty, and it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to drop in on somebody, drop in on somebody, drop in on somebody. And I finally turned around. I passed their place, turned around, came back, and uh, it was hilarious because I rang the doorbell, and they were both drop jaw because they had both, they were in an argument, you know, quite an argument. I had no idea. That's not why I was there. But one person said, did my wife call you? <laughs> nope. She came down the stairs. Did my husband call you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was awesome. But it was one of those times where I was trying to ignore the Holy Spirit, honestly, because I was nasty, sweaty, wall, you know, running down the road. And I passed their place. I'm going, why? This is ridiculous. But they were on my mind. I couldn't shake them. So I turned around. It was awesome. But he doesn't just do that to pastors. You guys are all priests. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're all a holy priesthood. You are at your work. You're in your families. You're in your communities for a reason. And you have the power to be a testament. You have a power to be uh, a lighthouse for Jesus Christ wherever you are. You do not have to be ordained as a pastor or become a reverend, okay? You are ordained as a priest in your community. Really exciting stuff. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us live in a right relationship with him. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Psalm 19, first six verses. The psalm is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. The last part of psalm. This is incredible stuff. This was written way later. 
Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews, Psalms. And it's amazing how the Lord takes his knitting needle and just goes, here you go. And that's why it's so important to spend time in the word of God. So not only that, but you also know from John. John says in his uh, first chapter, John chapter one, and the word became flesh. And the word, the law, what God has said became flesh and tented or dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. You see God's knitting needle here, you guys? The psalmist thousands of years ago, and yet that, that, that divine needle is coming all the way to us in Hebrews and in John and for us today. This is incredible and shows once again the integrity of the word of God. How exciting is it, it is that it's been written over so and so many years with different authors, but the same Holy Spirit that breathed life into the writing. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten full of grace and truth. Somebody said, to the psalmist, the law was not a burdensome restriction of liberty, but a gracious reflection of the holiness of God designed to lead man in the way of life and peace. So if you were seeking the Lord and what you were created to do in the first place, the law of the Lord will bring comfort, direction, accountability, peace, and rest. I'm not saying it's always easy but I'm saying that we were created to be in relationship with God. If you want relationship with God, pay attention to creation all around us, pay attention to God's word and bring it down to you personally, connecting with the Lord through Jesus Christ. But unlike the psalmist at this point in writing this, he says, you know, it's, it's not, a burden. It's not a restriction. It's not a bunch of laws. I don't, he's saying how much he loves the law. So he's drawn to it. Does that sound like today? Does it sound like people are interested in having accountability today? Nah, right? It's not all that popular. And I want you to know, and this is kind of using wording from the apostle Paul, that if you're kicking against the goads, whatever a goad is, okay, if you're, did I say goat? No, I said goad. Okay, if you're kicking against the goad or walking away from God, of course you will find the Bible annoying. You're going to find the Bible useless and you're going to find it offensive. So if even you're sitting here today and finding the Bible annoying, useless, out of date, you're probably kicking against the goads. Does anybody know what a goad is? Come on. Thank you. Something that prods the animals, right? So these days they use a, you know, one of those things, right? So if you're kicking against the goad, there's probably a reason why you do not appreciate and love the word of God. And, you know, I, I, I want you to be real honest with this one because sometimes it's an attitude. Sometimes things aren't going well in your marriage. Sometimes things aren't going well at work or with your kids. Some things Sometimes your dreams are not being fulfilled. You thought by this time in life, you would be here and you're still way over here. Or maybe you're struggling with health or somebody's passed away. I don't know. These are all, I'm going to say it, legitimate things for you to struggle with. Absolutely. But 
press in to the word of God. Press in to the creator, to the personal Yahweh, Jehovah. He knows you. He made you. There's no surprises. He cares for you deeply. That's the beauty of going from Elohim to verse 7. Personal God, the one who makes covenants and knows you and cares for you. So if you're kicking against the goads, you're going to, or walking away from God or rebelling, whatever it might be, you're going to find the Bible annoying. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Or you're, you're not going to find time to ever check out the Bible. You might have all sorts of excuses. But it's really important that we spend time with the written word of God. So he goes on in, 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 in verse 9, and I'll, I'll end with all this. In verse 9, the fear of Yahweh, again, is pointing to us toward loving and respecting the word of God and the law, and it draws us into life. And the world would like us to think that we need to push away from the law because it is actually stagnates us and keeps us in bondage, which is absolutely wrong. Uh, but sometimes you've got to see the, the continuum to see that all the party and all the nasty stuff that people become a part of leads to death. And walking with God leads to life. The law, in verse 10, the law in all its parts is a treasure to be coveted and sweet. It's a sweet treat to be savored. And in verse 11, David pens Yahweh's servant. D David allows himself to be warned by God's law. So everything that he's talking about here, he's looking at the law of God. He's loving it. He sees that it's pure. He sees the integrity of it. He humbles himself. And then he says he also looks at it to be encouraged. And he also looks at it to be warned and to be driven into the arms of God instead of away from God. So somebody said this, the clearer our view of the law, the more manifest are our sins. Still, for its full effect, we need divine grace to show us our faults, acquit us, restrain us from the practice, and free us from the power of sin. Thus, only can our conduct be blameless and our words and thoughts acceptable to God. So in English, all I'm saying is, the clearer our view of the law, when you're paying attention, you're looking into the law and the written word of God, it will show and contrast sometimes your heart. And you'll realize how dark your heart is, your intentions, how sometimes you're just like, wow, I'm sinful. And that's the beauty of it because it's that magnet thing that pushes you and draws you, pushes you and draws you. And sometimes it pushes us away, bam, right into the arms of Jesus Christ. And that's who we need, my friends. That's who we need. So this morning, hopefully for me and for you, we'll be drawn and we've been maybe coaxed into more of a relationship with Jesus Christ by maybe this week committing ourselves to spending just a, even a little bit more time in the word of God and coming down to like paying attention not just to the letter of the law, but what does this mean? What does it do? Does it contrast my sinfulness or is it drawing me in? Is it pushing me toward Jesus? What's going on? Or what's my attitude been toward the written word of God? Do I believe it's inspired, that it's perfect in the, in the originals, that what I have here is incredibly accurate? That's great. But are you giving it authority in your life? 
Are you doing what it says? When the Holy Spirit impresses something upon your heart or your mind, I don't care what age you are, by the way, if you're in grade six or seven, when you're in high school, whatever, same thing. There's folks, there's kids in your class that need Jesus and they need a fresh, refreshing touch from somebody that has spent time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And it's uh, exciting. I got to admit that sometimes I do not treat it as holy as I should because when I study sometimes, I'm just blown away at some of the juicy things that are just brought out. And Lord, so many of us, we get that, but then we'll go for a week or two and not paying attention. So I would ask by the Holy Spirit that you would empower us to be obedient servants and that you would make, like the psalmist, make the word of God really juicy and uh, tasty to us. That through obedience, through doing it, through paying attention, that we would be drawn to it. That it might even show some of the contrast of the sinful intentions that we have. <coughs> Excuse me. But it'll draw us to you, draw us to our Savior, Lord Jesus. Because we need you, Jesus. We need you. And Heavenly Father, our communities need you. Our world needs you. Lord, there's even a, uh, a vote coming up, a federal election, and boy, we need you there too. And we would just ask, Heavenly Father, that you wouldn't just start with Canada, but you would start with us right in our homes, right in our church, in our families, in our communities. And that'll go out from there, Heavenly Father, that we would be a beacon of light, a beacon of people that listen, read, and obey what the Word of God says. Father, that we will be moved by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, even this year as we kick off this next week in Back to Two Services, help us, Heavenly Father, to be a community that just practically loves each other and that others can see that we're a beacon of light, that we're salt to a world that really needs some flavor. So I thank you for this, Jesus, and I ask that you would meet us in a really confident and personal way when we go and celebrate communion together. We pray this in your name. Amen.